Chapter 17, all right. Chapter 19 this evening, 5 o'clock service. But right now, it's a good time to turn there. Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Still hear lots of good rustling. Sammy was right. I love that sound. All right, let's pray. Ask the Lord to bless our time together in his word. Lord, we are so grateful for this amazing privilege amazing blessing to gather in your presence. Lord, without your presence, it's meaningless. We're wasting our time without you. And so, Lord, we, we just invite you, Lord, to have your way in this place in our hearts. We need to hear from you and you alone. We need a fresh work of your spirit. Lord, I need a fresh work. We need a fresh work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, God, in your church. We don't want to leave here unchanged, but changed and transformed. As your word says, from glory to glory, that you would do those things that only you can do. And again, that you would get all the glory. So we commit this time to you now. We thank you for it. And we thank you for all that you're going to do. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So just by way of reminder, um, we found ourselves in chapter 17 in the book of Revelation. And remember the chapters 6 through 19, we're looking at a specific period of time that is in the future that will happen on planet Earth. And that period of time is known as the tribulation or great tribulation period. How long is it going to last for? Seven years. And so, again, it's important to note that in those chapters 6 through 19, the church, the bride of Christ, is no longer here on planet Earth. Why? Because Jesus comes for his bride before the tribulation even begins and takes us to the place that he's preparing for us right now. It's known as the rapture of the church, the blessed hope that we have as believers that the Lord is coming at any moment. His return is imminent. Is that exciting, anybody here? I'm excited. Lord, come quickly. Let's get, let's get this show on the road. But it's this perfect timing, of course. And so, and, and I would ask this morning, if you knew, though, the Lord was coming tomorrow, would that change your behavior in any way? Would that cause you to do some stuff a little bit differently? Listen, I'm not a time date setter at all. I'm just saying, if, it did, if you knew... He was coming. Would, you, would there be some phone calls you need to make? Maybe some apologies to ask for? Maybe some, maybe some bridges that need to be rebuilt? Some friendships that need to be rekindled? Or, or maybe you're saying, you know what? No way, Pastor. I am doing great. I am serving Jesus. I'm all in. Hallelujah. Come quickly. Maranatha, come quickly. Lord Jesus. For me, it's like, okay, I need to take inventory. If he was coming tomorrow, would that change anything about my life? The Bible tells us in 1 John that it should have a purifying effect in our lives, a desire to live an upright, righteous life. That when we see him, we're not ashamed. 
that we will boldly stand before him and, and be grateful. And so 6 through 19, tribulation as, as, as gnarly as it gets. Tribulation means pressing or pressure. Pressing, that's a new word. It's pressing and compression at the same time. Pressure and compression will be happening. That's what the word means. And, and that's what it's going to take to break some people. Correct? To get them to surrender to Jesus Christ. And we see during this seven-year period that a lot of people get saved. A lot of people surrender, come to know Jesus Christ personally, to be forgiven of their sins, and to experience uh, what it means to be born again like us. And so not only that, Jesus will be removing wickedness and wicked, wicked ones also during this time period. He's going to fumigate planet Earth to remove those things in order to bring about the beauty of his kingdom to this earth. And again, he will come, and that's in chapter 19. Jesus comes. Who's with him, by the way? We are. He's coming back, and he's going to set up his kingdom here for how long? A thousand years. What's it also known as? The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. He's going to come back and set up his kingdom. And at the end of the tribulation, by the way, Jesus will come and the Jews will be crying for him. That remnant of Jews that survives during the great tribulation, they will recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and they will cry out to him and call out to him. And he will come and he will set up his kingdom. And so we are looking at the, the end of the tribulation here, period. As we study chapter 17 and 18, we are looking at, uh, we're looking at Babylon. We're going to see um, this spiritual, uh, economic, commercial, political system that had its, has its roots all the way back in the beginning in Genesis and that will ramp up and, and grow bigger and bigger and bigger uh, as we get closer and closer to the end times. And so we'll break that down this morning. Chapter 17, we're going to look at spiritual Babylon and the judgment that will come upon spiritual Babylon. And I just, by way of reminder... Um, in verse 19 of chapter 16, remember we were looking at the seven bowls being poured out. The final bowl was poured out, and one of the results is in verse 19, or a couple of the results are there. It says, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And then notice, and great Babylon was remembered before God, why? To give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So this, this anti-God, anti-Christ um, system, worldly system, we need to just take note, it will be judged. God will judge this system. And so um, if, if we don't get anything right this morning, we need to get that right. That this system, this religious system, and we're going to learn at the end of our Bible study, God hates religion. God hates religion. There's a big difference, like night and day, dark and light difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we'll get to that in a moment. Babylon, listen, at the heart of Babylon, at the heart of this system, religious, economic, commercial system, the heart of it is, it is to take people away from Jesus Christ. Is to rip off souls. To take people down. Not to give life, but to take life. And that's, that, is, that has been Satan's plan from the beginning. Is to take, he, the, Jesus said the thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, 
and to destroy. Paul was worried about the church at Corinth, that they would leave the simplicity, that they would be tempted to leave the simplicity of just walking with Jesus. And I've said this before, and I've encouraged you guys. I love you, and I've encouraged you over and over and over again. Stay close to Jesus. Stay in his word. Stay in prayer. And so, because Babylon will deceive. She's all about deception. Well, let's, get, let's see what the word has to say. Look at chapter 17 with me, you guys. Chapter 17, verse 1. Here's what God's word says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he, this angel, carried me away in the spirit, Into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written... Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And so let me draw your attention back to verse 1 for a moment. So here's one of these angels, one of the, uh, the delivery angels of the seven bowls of God's judgment upon planet Earth. He's going to become, check this out, he's going to become like, kind of like tour guide angel, if you will. Because he's going to lead John around and explain, show John things, explain, explain things to John also. And so notice with me, it says, come, I will show you, very important phrase here, the judgment of the great Harlot, And that harlot is identified in verse 5 as Babylon the Great. By the way, Babylon is mentioned 287 times in the Bible. That's a lot, isn't it? And we've been looking at, um, as we've worked our way through the Old Testament, we've looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, where, remember, the, uh, the children of Israel went into captivity for, in Babylon for how long? 70 years, Correct. They went into Babylon. God God said, you know what? I warned you. I warned you. I've sent prophets. I've sent people to warn you. If you get involved with these things, the the immorality, the idolatry, if you link up with the the gods of the Canaanites, all those people, it is going to take you down. It's going to be a snare to you. It will wipe you out. Does God warn us for no reason? Why does he warn us? Because he loves us. Because he cares about us. He warned his people. And he said, listen, if you don't, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, I'm going to have to take you out of my house. If you're going to be willfully disobedient, listen, I can't endorse that. I can't support that. I'm going I'm to put you in a time out in Babylon where that place is sick with idols, it tells us in Jeremiah. 
It was they were crazy over their idols. I will take you to the land of the idols, so you are so sick of idols, you'll never want to go back to idols. That's a that, it worked, by the way. And God, do God's plans work? And so Babylon was a continual enemy of God's people. But we see Babylon began a whole lot earlier. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 10 and chapter 11. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But in any event, Babylon, notice with me, is personified how? As a woman, right? Yet she's more than a woman. She, she's more than a woman, you guys. She, kind of like Disneyland. I got some heads. Some head, I got some people waking up. <laughs> Disneyland. I love that place, man. Yeah, me too. But Disneyland is more than a place, isn't it? It's a product. It is a multinational mass media and entertainment conglomerate. It influences lots of people. Correct. I was there with my daughters. I didn't actually go into Disney. I went to what's the place where you do the shopping? Main Street or what's that? Downtown, downtown Disney. You don't have to pay except for parking. But if you go and buy something over twenty dollars, whatever, they'll take care of your parking for you. <laughs> what a deal! Isn't that great? But you see the effects of Disney because their people are wearing ears. They got costumes on. I'm like, really? Like you are actually going to wear this in this in this place? And I'm, my my daughters do, so it's cool. Good wholesome fun. Listen, this is, Babylon is not good, wholesome fun. Babylon is a city. It is an economic system, commercial system, a political system, we're going to see. It is a, again, it is a false religious system as well. Notice uh, she is referred, Babylon is referred to as a great prostitute or a great harlot. What does a harlot do? What does a prostitute do? Think about that with me. They take what they've been given by God what they've received from God, and use it in an immoral way to make money. Correct? Isn't that what a prostitute does? Right? The word is also used for an adulterer or an adulteress in the Bible as well. And so a great prostitute, you know what that means? They're exceptional at what they do. And so notice where she's sitting. She's sitting on many waters. What is that talking about? What does that mean? She's sitting on many waters. This is like a weird thing. What's going on? Do we need to Google this? And it has to be on the first page, second page, we're over, it's no good. It tells us, and look at verse 15, the best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. Verse 15, then he, tour guide angel, said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and what does your Bible say? And tongues. You know what that means? She influences and affects everyone on planet Earth in some way, shape, or form. This false religious system, in other words, has great influence. By the way, a false religious system suggests there's any other way besides Jesus Christ to get to heaven. That's a false religious system. Saying, saying what Jesus did is not enough or doesn't count or whatever, you can earn your way to heaven. That's a false religious system. And there are plenty of them. And they will merge in the end times. We see it even today. They're merging to coexisting today, correct? Doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it. As long as we love one another, as long as we love one another hold hands and sing kumbaya, we're all heading to heaven. We're all good. 
Is that true? No. You will fall short. You not only fall short of heaven, you'll end up in hell for all eternity. And God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loved you and me so much that he gave his son to die for us on a cross, a brutal death, paying the penalty and the punishment that we deserve for our sins in his life's blood. And rose again on the third day, demonstrating that everything, listen, demonstrating everything that Jesus said is true, that he is God, and that he is the way. He is the way. Well, notice she affects everyone on the planet, including, look what it says to me in that verse, verse 2, kings of the earth, that would be, that would be powerful world rulers. They're linked up with her. They're connected to her in this immoral relationship, fornication. The inhabitants of the earth, men and women, are intoxicated. Notice that what it says, made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Please notice they get drunk. They don't get a disease. Drunkenness is not a disease, by the way. It is a choice that people make. You come under the influence of whatever it is you are drinking. It's not like you walk by a bar and if someone sneezes, you're going to catch something. <laughs> I, may, I may be stepping on some toes today and I don't care. I love you. They chose to get drunk on what she's offering. And what happens when you're drunk? Some of you know, I don't mean to bring up your BC days, your perception gets messed up. As you're under the influence, you start to do and say things you don't remember. And not only that, sec- listen, drunkenness and sexual immorality or fornication, they go hand in hand. And so fornication is, what is fornication? We need to ask ourselves, what is fornication? It is sex outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word. That would include adultery, premarital sex, homosexual sex, any sex outside of marriage as prescribed Sex outside the marriage bed is prescribed by God. And listen, what's interesting just to take note of, God, God views idolatry as spiritual adultery. God views, I'm going to repeat this again, God views idolatry, the worship of any created thing, the worship of anything else but him as adultery or spiritual fornication. You guys remember Hosea, the book of Hosea? Anybody remember that book? Chapter 1, God says something to Hosea. He says, I want, you, I want you to be a living example to my people that are in rebellion, that are involved in idolatry. I want you to take a wife of harlotry. Isn't that heavy? I want you to take a prostitute as a wife. I don't know if, Lord, am I hearing from you correctly? <laughs> but it would be a living example of what was going on in God's heart with his people, because he viewed his people as his wife. Just like today, we are the bride of Christ. He's the groom, we're the bride. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was the wife of Jehovah. And so, this is important. In Hosea chapter 1, he says to them, why? Why should you take a, a wife of harlotry? Hosea, and God said to him, for the land has committed great harlotry. Why? By departing from the Lord. They departed from the Lord and they attached their lives to idols. They began to worship idols and live for idols. And God had warned them about that. And so Babylon is trying to take people away from the Lord in different forms of idolatry. And by the way, we are not created for idols. We are created for the Lord. 
Colossians 1 says all things are made by Jesus and for him. That means you're a keeper. You are fearfully and wonderfully made for a relationship with him. Anything apart from that, you're missing out. You're missing out on your purpose. You're missing out on God's plans for your life. You're missing out on the blessing of walking with him, him leading you as a good shepherd each day where your life will thrive and abound under his care and his care alone. And so we see here, she has this amazing, crazy effect on, the, on humanity. And then notice in verse three, so tour guide angel supernaturally transports John. Where do they go? What does it say? Where, where, where do they go? The wilderness, so the wilderness, a solitary, desolate, dry place. And what does he see? He sees a woman, he sees Babylon, sitting on this red beast with names of blasphemy. What's blasphemy? Trash talking God, it's cursing God. It's using his name as a filthy word. So this beast is covered with that. And he also has, what else does he have? Seven, seven heads and ten horns. We've come to know this beast as who? The Antichrist. the Antichrist. Thank you. This is the Antichrist. So the Antichrist, think about that. He's underneath her. She's riding this beast. Do, 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 do. And that's what's going to happen during the tribulation period. The Antichrist and Babylon will be teamed up Together, you've got politics mixed with religion. That's a bad mix. That's a bad mix, man. Because it ends in wipeout. It ends in judgment also. And so they're linked up together in the end times. And you know what they're doing, the two of them? They're taking people away from Jesus. They're taking people away from the Lord. Taking people to hell is what they're doing. Well, notice what she's wearing, verse 4. She's clothed in these colors of royalty, nobility. Purple clothes were worn by the rich. So she's got wealth, influence, power. She's, got, she's shining and glamorous, but she's still a prostitute. Bottom line. She's got all this jewelry on, all this. They still use the word bling. They still use that word or no? No, shining. She's shining. She's, she's, she's looking like amazing. But it's all a big facade. Notice what's in, her, what's in her hand. A cup? A gold cup, isn't it? Oh, it looks beautiful. Here's this cup. Come have a sip. But what's it full of? What does it say? F- full of abominations. Again, abominations is a u- word used for idolatry. It means disgusting, nasty, gross, and also the filthiness of her fornication. Speaks of dirtiness, of this immorality. And look at, think about that with me. What she's offering is beautiful up front, but what happens when you start to drink? It's just like sin, right? It's, the Bible says, it's, and we know, it's pleasurable for a season, right? Kind of like cotton candy. Anybody eat cotton candy? Oh, it's so yummy up front, and then it just, it's gone, and you eat too much, you get a rotten gut. Correct? I haven't had it in so long, but I, I know it doesn't satisfy. Just rot your teeth and rot your gut, man. Same way with sin. It tastes good up front. It looks good. It tastes good. But then what happens? The, then you end up getting hooked, getting snared, and the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard, man. So she's offering this to people. And so judgment comes upon 
those involved with her in this system. Notice on her head, on her forehead, so her name is readable. By the way, prostitutes in that day would wear that on their forehead, their names. Mystery. What's mystery? Is that like a Nancy Drew who done it? Like, oh. They still have Nancy Drew, by the way? They still have, yeah? Am I still connecting with you guys? It's a lame illustration, sorry. It's, it, mystery is something that was once concealed, it's now revealed. Something in the Old Testament that's concealed, like the church was, Ephesians tells us, Paul tells us, the church was concealed in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament. And so this mystery is now revealed. Mystery what? Babylon is her name. Her influence is widespread, great. And notice this is like so wild, man. She's the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. You know what that means? She has birthed all spiritual prostitutes. They've all come from her. her their roots are in her. She has spawned or birthed everything false. Not just one group, not just one church, not just one religious system. She's the mother of all false religion. Is that heavy? Where does it begin? Flip over with me real quick. We go from the last book of the Bible to the first book. Chapter 10, real quick. You guys remember a guy named Nimrod? I never heard that name, Pastor, but this guy in my neighborhood, he's... He's really a guy I need to be praying for. Will you pray for him with me, Pastor? I sure will. His name's not Nimrod, isn't it? This is after the flood. God gave, God gave Noah commands, right? Be fruitful, fill the earth, and multiply. And we're introduced to this dude named Nimrod. In verse 8, chapter 10, verse 8, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. I remember when I first started, when I read that, I thought, wow, I like that. He's a hunter. He's a good hunter. man." But then you study this a little further. You know what it means? It, his name, first of all, listen, his first in Hebrew, his name means rebel or rebellion. One who leads into rebellion. That's interesting, isn't it? He's a rebel. It means a hunter in God, against God in God's face. He's a hunter of men's souls. He's going after people to take them after him and away from the Lord. In fact, look what it says in the next verse. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. By the way, Babylon is Babel in Greek. That makes sense? Babylon is Babel in Greek. So this is what we're talking about. His kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Calni in the land of Shinar. Now look at chapter 11 real quick with me. Because Nimrod leads these people. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And, they, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. So they're making some bricks, cool. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Did you catch that? 
Number one, this group led by Nimrod are in willful disobedience to God's word. God said to be fruitful and multiply, to spread out. He's gathering all these people and they build a monument to themselves. Let us make a name for ourselves here. We're going to build this ziggurat, this tower all the way into the heavens. We don't need God reaching down to us. We will get to heaven on our own, our own way. We will reach the heavens. We will build our name. We don't need God. Do you see that? This false religion was birthed all the way back here in Genesis. You don't need God. He can be a good person. Did God really say that? Isn't that's the first question in the Bible, by the way. First question of the Bible is a questioning of God's word from Satan to Eve. And so we see it was birthed all, this false religious system birthed all the way back here. This anti-God, anti-Christ system has been around for centuries, and it's going to blossom during the tribulation period. Think about that. All believers are gone. All true believers are gone. And what are you left with? You're left with people of different religious systems, different denominations that were never saved at all. I hope everybody here is saved, by the way. And there's going to be this huge deception that will happen. Again, they're going to, there's this movement already, again, this ecumenical movement bringing all religions under one roof. Again, Christianity, Islam, every other religious system, bring them under one roof, coexist together. Well, notice in verse 6, here's the problem. Again, we can't coexist. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Who are the saints? That's us. She's intoxicated with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So notice this false religious system doesn't give life. She takes life. Are you with me? Didn't Jesus say that would happen? Did Jesus say that would happen, by the way? He did. Listen, every false religious system has always persecuted God's people. She's been killing God's people throughout history. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, listen to this, in John 15, what Jesus says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Did you catch that? We talked about this, I think, last week, didn't we? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said in the next chapter, in John chapter 16, that those who persecute you and kill you will think they're doing it for God. They think they're doing God a service, but Jesus says they don't know the Father, nor do they know me. There's no relationship. You can't have the Father without the Son and the Son without the Father because Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And so it's going to ramp up, especially towards the end times. And so notice John's response. He's a jaw dropper. He's blown away. Whoa, I can't believe this. This is so heavy. Well, notice what the angel says, verse 7. We're going to be reintroduced to the beast, the Antichrist. 
But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? Why are you blown away? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. That makes sense, everybody? We clear? Let's keep going. (laughs) Clear as mud, pastor. I got it, man. Keep rolling. Let's just read down to verse 14. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb. Who's the lamb? And the lamb will overcome them. Why? For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen, and faithful. Let's stop right there just for a second. So the angel says, what are you marveling about, man? What's going on? Let me explain this to you. Thank you for making it so clear, Mr. Tour Guide Angel. (laughs) Well, we got to break it down. So let's look at this. He says, let me help you understand exactly what's going on. This mystery about the woman, about Babylon, she is carried by the Antichrist Right? The Antichrist, they're going to be in cahoots together. They're going to be working together. The beast you saw... Who's the beast again? The Antichrist. This is verse 8. The beast you saw was and is not. You guys remember what happened earlier? He comes on the scene. Chapter 13. What happens in chapter 13? Some kind of head wound. You guys remember? He, He suffers a mortal wound... Seems like he's dead, and what happens? There's a resurrection, a counterfeit resurrection, right? And everybody's blown away. Ooh, ah, oh, wow, that was amazing. So he was and is not, but will ascend out of the bottomless pit. So there'll be this counterfeit resurrection, but notice where he'll end up. Where's he going to end up? What's perdition? Hell, lake of fire, Nine, chapter 19. We're going to see that later. Those who dwell on the earth, all these people, right, that are watching, they're seeing him, seeing him get this mortal wound to his head, boom, he gets resurrected from the dead. They're watching, they're going to marvel and notice whose names are not written. They're not registered where? In the book of life that's been around since the beginning. That's heavy. They're going to be blown away. And by the way, Jesus said we are to rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. It'll solidify their commitment to him. And then in verse 9, he says, here's some insight to piece this all together. Here's how to connect the dots spiritually, John. 
The seven heads are seven mountains. And some people, some good commentators, some good uh, Bible teachers, they believe it's speaking of because they, they, they believe it's speaking of Rome because Rome is called the city on seven hills. Thank you. And you know what they come, the conclusion they come to? Many come, they say this is speaking specifically and only of the Catholic Church. Um, the problem is, is that Babylon's way bigger than the Catholic Church. Oh, the Catholic Church, there'll be parts of the Catholic Church involved. There'll be parts of the Protestant Church involved in this whole thing. Lots of different denominations. There'll be a whole herd of people that have rejected Jesus as the way. I think it's better to view this another way. In Greek, you know what mountains means? You know what it means? Mountains. <laughs> Literally, it means it doesn't mean hills. I think that's kind of important. When we see mountains, it's often used as a Hebrew idiom in the Old Testament, speaking of governments or empires. I believe, this is my own personal opinion, you can take it or leave it, you're entitled to your own distorted opinion on this, but I believe it's speaking of a world empire or seven world empires or world governments. Um, and so, note, and I believe that also because of verse 10. Because there's seven kings. A kingdom needs a... What does a kingdom need to be a kingdom? A king, right? An empire needs an emperor or a ruler or a leader. So all these world kingdoms with their world leaders are under the influence of the harlot. And then he says, look at verse 10. I need you to track with me. Don't miss this. Five have fallen. So let's just think in our Bible, biblically, think biblically with me here. In relationship to the nation of Israel, in our Bibles, there were five kingdoms or five empires during John's day that had already passed off the scene. The first one was, what, what nation or what empire did God bring his people out of? The nation of Egypt. Egypt. And then Assyria. And then Babylon. And then Medo-Persia. And the final one is Greece. Final one is Greece. Five have fallen. When John was living, receiving the revelation, five gone. Five world empires, governments, leaders, gone. One still is. What is that? That was the one existing in John's day. Which one was that? You guys got it. Rome, thank you. And, but he goes on to say, the other has not yet come. There will be one more coming. I believe it's the revived Roman Empire, personally. And when he comes, when this leader comes on the scene, I believe it's the Antichrist, his reign will be for a short time. Okay, Pastor, I'm, I'm tracking with you. I got it now. But what about this next verse? The beast that was and is not. Who's that, by the way? Thank you. The Antichrist is himself also the eighth and is of the seven. Now, now I'm lost, Pastor. What is that talking about? Okay, track with me here. The seventh empire, that seventh world government, that world empire, will be a coalition of ten kings. We're going to read it down in just a minute. Of ten kings with the Antichrist leading them. Are you with me? The seventh kingdom 
will be a coalition of probably 10 kings, maybe 10 uh, territories in the world possibly also. It could be 10 rulers over those, those areas in the United, uh, of the world. And what about this eighth though? The eighth empire or this eighth kingdom will be exclusively led by the Antichrist. Why? Because we just read it. Those 10 kings will give their power and authority to who? The Antichrist, they're going to hand it over to him. And that final ruling empire will be exclusively this dictator, this brutal dude, the Antichrist. And so, does that make sense? Yes. If not, come see me after. I'll wrap with you. They're going to make war. So they give their power and authority, fully submitted to the Antichrist, this coalition, the eighth world empire. And what's going to happen? What are they going to do? Verse 14. They're going to try to fight who? They're going to try to fight Jesus. Can you win fighting Jesus? No. You can't. Listen, even today, he's reaching out. If you don't know the Lord today, he's reaching out to you. And you're resisting. You're fighting him. He loves you so much. Don't fight against him. That's not going to, you're not going to win fighting against him. Maybe you're fighting against him doing his, doing his word in your marriage. Oh, that's in a couple weeks. A marriage tune-up coming but maybe it's in forgiveness. You're fighting against him. And he's saying, do it my way. Watch what I'll do. So these people will be gathered. Where are they going to be gathered at to fight him? We talked about it last week. The Valley of Megiddo or Arma, Armageddon. How are they going to do? Not very well, correct? Again, you can't win fighting against Jesus. Why? Because he's the Lord of Lords and he's the King of Kings. There's no one greater. There's no one more powerful. And it says there's going to be some people with Jesus when he does come, when he overcomes them. Who are they? They are called, chosen, and faithful. Who's that speaking of? Of us? Isn't that awesome? Because he, did he call you out of darkness? Did you respond? Yes. Did you choose Jesus? Yes. But you're also chosen. How does that work out? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> the Bible teaches both. Let's not get in a shootout over it. Let's just say, listen, that's what the Bible teaches. Let's agree. We'll find out one day. When you have perfect theology in heaven, you'll know. You'll say, oh, wow. That's how it worked out. I was way off. <laughs> how awesome. What are, we gonna, what are we riding? Are we going to be riding bicycles? <laughs> Skateboards? What are, we, what are we riding? Horses. Not surfboards. I wish. That'd be cool. <laughs> we're going to be cruising back. We're going to learn this tonight. Revelation 19. We're going to come back with Jesus. And he is going to conquer. Just one word. Just the word of his mouth. Boom. It's all over. This rebellion is stopped just like that. Well, look at the verse 8. 15 to 18 real quick. We'll finish up. Here's the judgment for this one world religious system. False religious system. Then he said to me, who's he? Tour guide angel, thank you. He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. That takes us back to verse 1. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast... These will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, 
eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Wait a minute, they were just in cahoots together. Right? She was cruising on as they were riding into town, right? Having a good old time. And now all of a sudden they turn on her. But isn't that what the devil does? He's a user. And you know people like that. Maybe you've been used by someone. They use you to accomplish their purposes and then they say, see you later, man. Or they don't say see you later, they just ditch you. That's why you don't open your heart up to those things. What does the devil promise? Success, wealth, power, prominence. Isn't that how, how he tempted Jesus? You guys remember? Brought him up on the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of this earth. It's all yours. Just bow down. Bow down and worship me. You could have it all. You don't need to go the way of the cross. Listen, that's the same lie that the enemy will feed you and feed me. You don't need to, you don't need to do it God's way. Take the easy way. You don't need to die to yourself, deny yourself. You don't need to forgive your spouse. It's okay. It's okay. You can let the sun go down your wrath a few times. Don't be so hard, man. It's the enemy does. You don't have to forgive that person. You can bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking out, man. That's, listen, that's the way of Satan. Is to dumb down the word, to dilute the word of God. To not deny the self, to exalt, the, esteem the self. Yeah, you need to esteem your pastor. The problem, the problem I'm having is my esteem is just a little bit low. That's not your problem. You love yourself. We're not to esteem ourselves higher and higher. We're to esteem Jesus higher and higher. Amen. John the Baptist said, may I be decreasing and may he be increasing. Because if you focus on yourself, you're going to be miserable. Living for me, myself, and I, you're going to be empty. You're going to be bummed. Because when you look internally, what are you going to find? You're going to find a rotten, wicked heart, man. But you look unto Jesus and you're, you recognize, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. giving me a new heart and a new start. And I'll walk in the newness of life with my new mind. Not a power, uh, spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. Thank you, Lord. I'll walk in that. I won't focus in, get all internal. Focus on you, Lord. Keeping our eyes unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so he, we see this, this uh, religious system gets dropped, drop kicked. Verse 17, for God, this is interesting. Look at God's at work behind the scene here. For God has put it into their hearts. Why? To fulfill his purpose. To be of one mind. And to give their kingdom to the beast. Until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Isn't this it's interesting? So we get a picture of what's happening in the, in the physical realm. But God's working behind the scenes, isn't he? God put it into the hearts of these leaders to hand over their power and their authority. Can God work in a king's heart? Can God work in your boss's heart? Do you believe that? I don't know.
Can he work in a president's heart? Can he work in any leader's heart? Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. That bothers me, pastor. God can do whatever he wants. You bet. How can he do that? Because he's God. You know, everything he does is righteous and true. And, and I love this. Doesn't that, doesn't that bother you that he can do that, Pastor? It doesn't bother me one bit. Because Why? Because the last part of that verse also. What does it say? Until the word of God is fulfilled. God does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. Why? To fulfill his word. I don't know about you, that gives me lots of comfort. I, I can rest. He is faithful and his word will come to pass. Amen? All his promises are yeah, maybe. And I hope so. There, yes and amen. So be it. Do it, Lord. I agree. Your promises are awesome. Well, we can't finish there. Because God hates religion. I'm going to give you six reasons why God hates religion. Some of you guys like a little application. There hasn't been enough already. Some of you guys like little notes. Here's some little notes. Remember, religion is a man-made system that teaches we can reach God on our own efforts. Religion is a man-made system that teaches we can reach God on our own efforts. Or our own goodness, or our own merits, or our church membership, or whatever tradition. It's impossible. You can't save yourself. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Christianity is distinct from religion. Relationship is distinct from religion. Because how do we approach God? How do we approach Him? Not on our own efforts, our own works, our own goodness. We approach Him because we've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. There's no other way to get to Him, but get to the Father, but through Jesus. Number one reason why God hates religion. You ready? It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. By saying I can get to heaven on my own works, my own merits, my own goodness, it's a slap in the face to our Lord, to our God, who sent His only begotten Son to be abused and harassed and pinned to a cross. He who is innocent, pure, spotless, and then to say, oh, I can, get, I can do it on my own, that is, that is blasphemy. God gave his best by sending his son for you and for me, the just for the unjust. Hallelujah. And then he rose again from the dead. The payment was paid in full. Full and satisfying payment Jesus made. How do we know it was accepted? Because he was raised from the dead. Full and satisfying payment. Propitiation. Big theological word. Propitiation. He was a full and satisfying payment for our sins. And he said on the cross, it is finished. To tell us, die in Greek, paid in full. Your sin debt, my sin debt, paid in full. We can't add to it and we can't take away from it. 
And if you say you can, it's blasphemy. And that's what religion does. Number two, it's a lie. God hates religion because number two, it is a lie. It is impossible to save yourself. Why? Because we are sinners. Sinners by nature. Psalm 51, David said, I was brought forth in iniquity. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. Romans 3.23. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's impossible to save ourselves. We needed the Lord to give his life for us. Number three, I'll make it quick because we got three minutes. Can I do four and three? Yeah, we can do it. God hates religion because man's kingdom is built and not God's. Catch that? Man's kingdom is built and not God's. Remember what they said in Genesis? Let's build our own kingdom. And what happens when man builds his own little kingdom? Who's worshipped? Man is worshipped. Man is honored. The works of his hands are glorified. It's not birthed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Number four, God hates religion because it produces hypocrites. <gasps> it does. It does. I'll just fix myself. I'll make myself righteous. Remember what Jesus said about the, the religious leaders of his day? He called them whitewashed what do you call them? Whitewashed sneakers? What do you call them? Whitewashed tombs. He said, you guys make the outside of the cup clean, but inside you're full of wickedness, dead man's bones. And he's like, how foolish are you? Didn't he who made the outside make the inside also? You're fooling everybody with this religious exterior, making yourself look good. You know, looking for the praise of man. You guys are looking, you got your supersized tassels, right? Whoa. Make these prayers in front of people. And, but inwardly, there's a problem because the heart of the issue is always the issue of the, of the heart. Listen, transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? It's not a work of men. We are transformed from glory to glory as we behold the, the Lord. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. And all, listen, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can provide a complete forgiveness of sins and a transformation of your life. No religious system can do that. Amen. Draw near to Jesus. Number five. I think it's number five. Something along yeah. those lines. God hates religion because it produces judgmental people. Self-righteous, self-justified people are judgmental and they're critical. Who did Jesus have the hardest words for when he came? The pimps, the prostitutes, the down and outers? For the Pharisees, sin-sniffing, critical, fault-finding, their convictions become a law for everyone else. That's what religion does. Their, their convictions become a law for everyone else and you impose them upon everyone else. And who, you know, who handed Jesus over to be killed? Pharisees. And why? Because Jesus messed with their religious system. 
Jesus messes with religion and shows us the, where it falls short. And either you submit and surrender or you keep going the same direction you're going. Living a judgmental, critical, fault-finding existence and never have a true relationship, have a true experience with the living God walking with him day by day. Number six. Number six. Somebody, anybody taking notes? Number six. God hates religion. Why? Because religion has man for its head or at the top. Religion has man at its head. Who's to be the head of the church? Jesus is. From which we all are nourished and we're to, we're to hold fast to the head. No head, the body's dead. Not hard. That's what all false religious systems, cults, they try to detach you from the head, from Jesus Christ. And listen, the problem is, when Jesus is not the head, with man at the top, people get abused. With man at the top, people get abused. But you know what? When Jesus is the head, you know what happens? People get loved. (laughs) May he always be the head. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. For their lives, for their marriages, their homes, their ministries, all that you're doing, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we give you honor and glory. Thank you that we can hold on to your word, the promises of your word, they are all yes and amen. That your word works effectively in those who believe. And so, Lord, may we be those that hold on to your promises, pray your promises. Like we read those Old Testament saints prayed, Lord, knowing your promises and knowing your character. And and you move powerfully. And and God, we want to see you move powerfully in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our nation, in our world, Lord. And so have your way in us and through us and amongst us.